Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckless AB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Gangsters, what's up, guys? John Anik and Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik oh, and good Kenny day Florian. Monday, November 12th, the year is 2018. It's episode 179 of the Anik and Florian Podcast. Ken Flo, if you're watching on video, is not in our Los Angeles studio today. Uh, are you, you're on the East Coast, I believe. Is that right? I am. I'm in New Hampshire. I'm at... Uh, wow. Yeah. At my parents' place over here, visiting family, and uh, yeah, good to be back. A little colder than L.A. over here, though. Yeah, New Hampshire's about as cold cold as it gets. But the yeah. Dr. Florian, your father's not afraid. His no. Wi-Fi is holding up pretty well, so I'm going to send him a huge thank you on Twitter <laughs> if uh, if the Wi-Fi holds up over the course of the show. Thanks for the baby <laughs> advice over the weekend, by the way. You know, you would think as a father of three who entered fatherhood in 2011 that I wouldn't be leaning on my man Ken Flo and his lovely wife, <laughs> wife Clark when I need, you know, baby advice when I'm in a rut. But but who am I texting? I'm texting you, and, and, and you guys rescued me this weekend. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. I appreciate that uh, you come to us for advice and uh, any time, man. Hopefully that helps. And even if we're not giving him organic avocado, even if it's just the regular <laughs> stuff. No, I'm just kidding. We'll, we'll fire the first stuff. The first stuff will be organic, but I'm not going to say that he's going to be eating organic avocado for the rest of his life. Uh, so this is our 179th show. And as many of you know, Ray Longo has been with us since the first episode. What a great call that was, whoever's call that was, to pick Ray Longo as our, our weekly guest to be the coach. I don't know who yeah. that was. But um, unfortunately, though, Longo's mom passed away on Saturday. I just found out a couple hours ago. So uh, he won't be with us today. He does want you all to yeah. know he's doing well and that she did go peacefully with everyone by her side. But but tough stuff for Ray and, of course, his yeah. family over the next several days, and we're thinking about them. But Ray will be back next week. He won't be with us today. Uh, UFC heavyweight champion, light heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier scheduled to join us. We will certainly get to the Denver stuff. You got Ken Flo's picks coming up on UFC in Argentina. By the way, Flo, do you know how to pronounce the, the capital city in Argentina? Because if you don't know right now, by the, by the end of the program, we will have that for you as well. I'm not calling the fights in Argentina, but I felt like for our audience I should pronounce – Buenos and whatever comes next correctly. I mean, do you want to do you want to venture a guess right now? You're a pretty cultured, worldly guy, or do you want to wait? Buenos Aires. Fucking nailed it with the goddamn inflection, with the right pronunciation. You know, <laughs> unbelievable. This guy. Uh, you know what? We're going to give you two extra points in the main event challenge for nailing that without practice. Today. <laughs> I, I need um, all the points I can get. We'll see how you do with the five picks though later today. But you absolutely right. nailed the That's pronunciation. A 
Uh, our lead today, so TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo are going to fight for the UFC Flyweight Championship in Anaheim. That was going to lead the show, as I wrote on Twitter, unless something crazy happened this weekend in Denver. And something crazy happened this weekend in Denver. The UFC, of course, celebrating its 25th anniversary. And Flo, man, do they have a highlight now to commemorate this show. Yaya Rodriguez, the no-look up elbow at the gun right at the buzzer to knock the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung out cold. One of the greatest knockouts most of us have ever seen in an MMA setting. Uh, I mean, when you look at the fight as a whole and then you factor in that ending, I'm not sure you could write a better script uh, than what happened there as far as the finish. Um, It was absolutely brilliant. It, It was perfect timing. Um, I thought it was overall a, a much more mature Yair Rodriguez in, in how he approached the fight. He wasn't just throwing stuff to throw it. Um, this was a guy that was much more calculated in his approach. He was mixing in elbows, sprinkling them uh, throughout the fight, trying to set them up, trying to get uh, Korean Zombie to run right into one. Wasn't quite able to land it the way he wanted to until that one at the very end. And the most dramatic knockouts for me are the ones when fighters fall face first into the canvas. And that's exactly what Korean Zombie did. Um, And we know how tough and how great of a chin Korean Zombie has. And the fact that he was face first into the canvas, butt up in the air, unable to move was yeah. as dramatic a knockout that I've seen a, in a very long time. And when you factor into just how great that fight was, um, that will go down as uh, an absolute classic. And we'll attempt to put the knockout into context in terms of it maybe being the greatest of all time in the UFC. I'm not willing to go that far necessarily, but uh, at least for some people, that's a fun conversation. But in terms of this fight, Kenny, and there are obviously two sides of it and We don't have open scoring. I'm not sure if the Korean zombie thought he was sitting on a lead here, Kenny. I thought the fight was close. I think I gave rounds two and three to Ayer Rodriguez. Two of the three judges did have the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung, ahead 39-37, and the lone dissenting judge had it 38-38 going into that fifth and final round. Um, Your thoughts on the fight as a whole, the Korean zombie. I thought the boxing was just on point. A lot of good clinch work in there. It's hard to sort of know which way to go. I want to credit the referee, Kevin McDonald, for at the end having the right call and waving off the fight because you can't be saved by the bell in that instance. Your thoughts on on the Korean zombie in defeat and the performances on both sides as a whole. Well, it was certainly close, and I'm not going to attempt to try to score uh, any of those rounds. Um, yeah. They were close. I, I think maybe what the judges were seeing were, were the possible knockdowns or, or the off-balancing shots from Korean Zabi, and I agree that he was probably landing the harder shots when it came to the boxing. Um, but he was in that danger zone repeatedly, and we know Korean Zabi is absolutely fearless in his approach uh, towards fighting. He's very aggressive. Um, doesn't really gauge the distance so much. He's just trying to hit the target as much as possible. And you know what? If he gets hit in the process, okay, no problem. He's willing to go there, um, as we know. And there's a reason why they call him the Korean zombie. And he continued to pressure Yair Rodriguez, and uh, he did it at high altitude, of course, in Denver. And um, Yair taking this fight on short notice, I I thought it was impressive that he was able to um, stay in there with that high pace. Uh, But... Korean Zombie, uh, his aggression is really what has made him such a star in this sport. Um, And you really couldn't see much rust off of Korean Zombie, you know, despite that layoff. And, um, you know, I I think the the way that he fights, uh, the style that he brings, that's why he's such a fan favorite. Um, He was landing a lot of hard shots in the pocket. Um, He was able to get to the clinch, wasn't so successful with his takedowns. I thought that um, Yair was doing a great job of countering a lot of those uh, takedowns, even when they hit the mat, he was doing some funk rolls. He was, yeah. uh, you know, doing Peterson rolls and Granby rolls to get out of that. Uh, I thought that was really impressive. And uh, man, just an unbelievable fight. These are two certifiable featherweight contenders, no matter who ended up on the wrong end of this one. I feel like both of them, Kenny, are just going to knock a lot of people out. I don't want to sit here and say that these guys are are making guys like Max Holloway and Brian Ortega tremble in their boots. And, of course, it's fitting, sure. I guess, in some respects that their title fight is now just a few weeks away. But, Kenny, I feel like these guys are going to finish. A lot of guys, even talents in the top ten, um, they just happened to find an opponent this weekend who just took almost every shot and the best shots that they took that they had. 
Without a doubt. And listen, I, I really was uh, very impressed with the progress that Yair Rodriguez has made because um, I've kind of gone back and forth. There's some performances where I say, man, Yair might be the next big thing. And there's other performances where I say, you know, he's not really setting things up. He's not intelligently, um, you know, setting up his combinations. In this fight, I really liked his approach. He was way more patient. Um, he was reading the fight. You could you could see that there was intelligence behind what he was doing and what he was reading. Um, and, and you know, listen, he was taking he was eating some big shots uh, against the Korean Zombie. Um, but I liked the way he was setting up the jab. I liked the way he was moving. Um, he was switching stances. He was beating up the body uh, against Korean Zombie with that front kick down the middle. Um, he was mixing in a lot of those dynamic uh, and flashy techniques instead of just throwing them all the time without setting them up. So to me, I thought this was a much more mature Yair Rodriguez. I thought it was a smarter Rodriguez. Um, and after this performance, I think this is a guy who really could do some big things. And he's had a lot of pressure on his shoulders, um, you know, being a, a Mexican star and um, listen, I think a lot of that is deserved at this point. Um, he put on an absolute classic fight against yeah. uh, a guy in Korean Zombie who has fought for the title before. So uh, I was just really impressed. And obviously, he's heading in the right direction here. Oh, man, is um, he ever. So it's just amazing. And some would suggest maybe he doesn't have a style that is conducive to going five rounds consistently, but I thought he he managed his pace pretty well. Kind of had to take yeah. parts of that fourth round off, I thought, but still landed hard shots. And can't say enough about the Korean Zombies boxing, just the accuracy. I mean, I know there are holes technically and things that you can certainly pick apart, but uh, I was just impressed with with the evolution of both fighters. And, and just another nod to this featherweight division and the depth of this featherweight division, the fact that these guys are, uh, you know, not top five fighters at least right now just a, a great showcase for the ufc and in terms of the buzzer beater itself kenny i mean this certainly trumps i would think demetrius johnson with by submission at 459 granted that was a championship fight right but there's some lead up to the submission i think what makes this the greatest buzzer beater in combat sports history is that it was literally landed at 457 right the elbow landed 457 and the fight was called off at 459 and the horn came thereafter right i mean Kevin McDonald literally waved his arms with 0.2 seconds to go, you know? Uh, so, and and just given the 25th anniversary backdrop and everything else, Kenny, this is going to be one they're going to be talking about for some time. Well, I would say this. I have a hard time uh, thinking about more than five elbow knockouts just off, off the top of my head that, that I right. can come up with. Can you come up with three elbow knockouts? At no, all. Just, like, just I mean, total. Kenny Florian, Chris Lieben is the one that keeps coming to mind. <laughs> but they're, they're, but they're rare. But I didn't knock him out. I mean, to to get an an actual. Oh, I knockout, see. Yes, right. To put actual someone KO, out right. with an with an elbow is extremely rare, dude. Right. And the fact that he landed this amazing up elbow off a twist, which you usually see off of like a a, a fake double leg. Um, so he ducked his head, went up with the elbow. So it was a spinning up elbow as he ducked his head out of the forward motion of the Korean zombie. First of all, just to land that would have been brilliant. The fact that yeah. he knocked him down, even better. The fact that he knocked him out is just ridiculous. And the fact that he did it at the end of the round, I mean, listen, I might go there. I might actually say yeah. that's one of the greatest knockouts, if not the greatest knockout that I've ever seen. because. Yeah. The use of elbows is extremely rare. It's an underutilized weapon. And the fact that he was able to do this, John, at the end of the round for a knockout and the fact that he was possibly losing this fight, it was yeah. certainly close. But if he was losing this fight and he hit that elbow for the win, I mean, right. come on, that that's just ridiculous. Well, and that's really the way it played out, because even if yeah. the Korean zombie had lost that fifth round on those two judges scorecards, he was still winning this fight, you know, 48, 47 or whatever it was going to be or by split decision, you know, so mm -hmm. absolutely incredible that result. And some people, if it was another fighter, maybe you could say, oh, it was a lucky shot. But if you know Yair Rodriguez with all the spinning shit that lands at will, yes. this was a, a move and, and a strike that obviously he has thrown before and man did he land it so in Oof. terms of the greatest knockouts in ufc history very quickly i mean anderson silva vitor belfort i think is the one that was considered the greatest knockout of all time when the ufc actually produced a special on it for me mm -hmm. i think the most spectacular i've seen in person 
uh, was Edson Barboza against Terry Edom. And for me, yes. just in terms of that pure knockout, I'm not sure that anything uh, on the feet necessarily is going to top it for me. You have to consider the setting, right, and the context of the fight. I think this was a main event. It was a 25th mm-hmm. anniversary show. So even though it wasn't Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort, a UFC middleweight championship fight, this was bigger than Edson Barboza, Terry Adam. You know, so all things considered, uh, this is certainly in the mix. But for, for MMA and the UFC to produce a buzzer beater like this, Ken Flo, you know, if you're Dana White, it's just put your fucking feet up on the desk. <laughs> fuck you. You know, fuck you. Right. Listen, man, in this sport, you have the highest highs and the lowest lows as a fighter. And I'm sure it's the same as a promoter for Dana White, for the UFC. You have some amazing nights. And when mixed martial arts produces nights like the one they had in Denver, you realize, oh, yeah, that's right. I almost forgot that MMA is the greatest sport in the world. Yeah. It's like, man. I spent so much time in my life watching baseball when I could have been watching this stuff. Like, what was I doing? You know? Brilliant, man. Cutting I hope out a lot pictures. Of people watching because it was it was sick. You know, cutting out pictures of Noma Agassiapara and the Boston Herald. Like, what are you doing with your life? You know. Thankfully, I found MMA before it was too late. So, in terms of who might be next for Yair Rodriguez, and I'm already up against the clock a little bit here, but it's got to be a main event, and it's got to be against a beat Mago Medsharipov, right? I mean, that's it, right? We need I say more. That's the fight, man. And listen, I think for Yair, I think there's a little bit of damage control that might need to be done. I don't think so after the after the Korean zombie fight, right? But I think he got a bad rap, and I think there were some, you know, insinuations that uh, he was afraid to fight a guy like Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Uh, I don't see that. I don't believe that. Um, but perhaps there's other fans that still believe that. Um, both those guys are exciting. Both of them are aggressive. Um, and I tell you what, if I'm looking at their last two performances, I think Rodriguez wins that fight. I, I was high on uh, on Magomed Sharipov. I thought that, uh, you know, maybe a couple fights ago that he would probably beat Yair. Uh, and perhaps there was some truth to Yair not really wanting that fight stylistically. Uh, I think that's a fight that should happen. Um, I think yeah. those are two potential stars in that division. But I think after looking at the last couple performances, I think Yair might win that fight. Well, certainly after the last one. I think Yair could win that. I think Yair wins that fight. So right now, Rodriguez, number 15 in the world. Magomed Sharipov ranked 14. Chan Sung Jung, 10. So uh, I think that's the fight to make, and I think you'll see the promotion go in that direction. And, man, I can't wait to watch it. It's like you want to work it, right, but you also want to be able to just sit home scream and holy piss every other minute too but i I think that's the fight that they're going to make all right so some history for donald cowboy cerrone and say what you want about the training camp film and movies in boston whatever he was doing certainly got the desired result this weekend he submits mike perry with 14 seconds to go in round one so for cowboy cerrone most wins most finishes in ufc history and certainly there have been championship opportunities that he has not capitalized on um, but his future's in the Hall of Fame. The longevity is there. And with his back up against the proverbial wall here, flow in a spot in which he needed a big win as plus 180 underdog, uh, Cowboy Cerrone found a way. The fight went to his realm, and, and he didn't miss on that opportunity as he gets another armbar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen, I, I thought this was a good performance from Donald Cerrone. He seemed very motivated. Uh, he fought with a, a sort of disdain uh, for his opponents. And I think an angry Donald Cerrone is a tough Donald Cerrone uh, to beat in the octagon. And um, I thought he did a great job of utilizing the right weapons for the most part. Um, you know, you saw him, he, he tried to clinch with uh, Mike Perry here and there, but I don't think he was forcing it so, so much. Um, I, I thought that his best uh, path to victory was going to be on the ground. Um, you know, while I thought that he could potentially outstrike Mike Perry, especially from the outside. Uh, I thought the easiest path would, of course, be on the ground. Mike Perry, not so experienced there. Uh, I was even more surprised at the fact that Mike Perry was the guy who actually tried to take the fight to the ground at that point. He, yep. he hit yep. a nice takedown, and he hit it right into side control. Uh, but uh, from there, Donald Cerrone was able to reverse him, and it was kind of uh, not the most sophisticated of, uh, of moves and escapes there uh, for Mike Perry. I was surprised that he gave that up. But um, from there, Donald Cerrone just took over and uh it, it was uh an excellent and nasty uh arm bar uh and it was it was a much needed finish for for cowboy at this point in his career and he made history by uh having the most wins 
And given the the Mike Winkle-John situation that is becoming increasingly more well-documented by the day, just the friction there and the animosity there, this had to be particularly sweet for Donald Cowboy Cerrone. As far as Platinum Mike Perry is concerned, and he might be the party who is more heard from now going forward in the UFC, even though he's lost three or four on paper, and even though he's an easy target right now as we sit here on Monday morning, I will just tell you, Flo, in my personal experience, he has an appetite to learn and the, the willingness to put in the hours that I think eventually he won't be denied. I'm not saying he's going to be a UFC champion, but I feel like he wants to put a gi on immediately right, and start learning. And he feels like maybe there were some pitfalls in his training and, and he paid for those this weekend. But, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still if I'm not all in, I'm still mostly in on Mike Perry in terms of a guy who can use the go- the, the tools he has been given in terms of the power and the athleticism and, and become a well-rounded welterweight threat. Yeah, listen, it, it all comes down to the mentality that he has in training. I, I'm not aware of that. Um, I assume that, uh, you know, he's going to get right back to work and, and, and learn from his mistakes, uh, as any good mixed martial arts fighter should do. Um, and, you know, in this game, you learn a lot of hard lessons. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's probably going to look back and, and say, eh, that decision to take him down probably wasn't the best thing. Um, and, you know, it, <laughs> These are hard lessons, and he's going to go back, and obviously he needs to get better on the ground, that's for sure. Um, And and I think he's at the right camp to to be able to do that. All right, so we'll see where Platinum Mike Perry goes from here. And, of course, congratulations to to Donald Cerrone. Not a main event this weekend, but he's found himself in a whole lot of those. And every fight Cerrone's involved in is a big one, right? So you could be sure that whether it's in a gatekeeper role, right, or as a guy who is chasing a title, he hinted at a return to 155 pounds. Cowboy Cerrone is still going to be heard from, so we'll see. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. It seems like he's going to go back to 155 pounds. He's been, um, you know, playing uh, over at 170 pounds and, and and doing well, kind of having mixed results. And um, I think he's he's best suited for 155 pounds. But I think now that he's been away for a little bit, um, I, I would like to see him back in the lightweight division and and try to make just one more run uh, at that belt. All right, that's it on Denver. Time permitting, we'll get back to it later. But I want to transition here to this fight between TJ Dillashaw and Henry Cejudo. And I guess I hesitate to call it a super fight because it's a it's a champion versus champion fight. I'm not sure that it deserves that super fight distinction necessarily um, back in the days when we were dreaming about Anderson Silva versus George St. Pierre and, and fights involving John Jones and the rest. But in terms of this Dillashaw-Cejudo matchup, I always felt like it made more sense, Kenny, at 125 pounds. I felt like it made more competitive sense for TJ Dillashaw, a two-time UFC bantamweight champion with three title defenses during those two separate reigns, for him to get a chance and to be given a chance by the promotion to become a two-division champion, something he has wanted for some time. Of course, he wanted the Demetrius Johnson fight and didn't get it. I think that makes more sense than to have Henry Cejudo fresh off of a championship that he's never defended move up to 135 pounds and bypass the likes of Marlon Marais and Rafael Santau and to a lesser extent Dominic Cruz and fight TJ for the undisputed title. So that's my thesis statement on the whole thing. There are a million different angles of it, but I want to get your thoughts off the top on this fight between Dillashaw Cejudo being made and being made to the surprise of many at 125 and not 135 pounds. Well, it was certainly to my surprise, especially given the rumors that they were going to get rid of the 125-pound division, right? So, um, listen, at the end of the day, what this tells me is that T.J. Dillashaw is a fighter, all right? This is a guy who's not concerned with, oh, what fight is going to make me the most amount of money? This is a guy who is fighting for legacy. He's fighting to truly test himself. And this fucker just wants to beat people up. I'm going to be candid with you. I think this is a guy who loves to fight and hurt people. Um, You hear about the stories from him in the training room to him, the way that he performs in the octagon. This guy really deserves that moniker of Killashaw. And um, I'm just really impressed with the guy. And if you look at some of his past performances and and what he's done and even look back into that that fight against Dominic Cruz, a fight that certainly could have gone his way. Right. He might be the best fighter pound for pound on the planet. Look at all the skills that he brings to the table. There really aren't many weaknesses in TJ Dillashaw. You look at the skills that he integrates, the sophisticated uh, footwork, the fact that he's going and training with one of the best boxers of our generation uh, in Lomachenko. 
this guy is in pursuit of something else besides money. And to me, that is a welcome change in a time where everyone wants as much money as possible and holding out. You don't really hear these stories from TJ Dillashaw. Uh, yeah. Even when he's injured, he just wants to come back and kick ass. And I'm surprised that this guy doesn't have more fans. And yes, he's a lighter weight fighter. But again, this is another testament to a guy uh, who is an absolute brilliant fighter and wants to fight the best, period, regardless of anything else. Oh, you want to fight at 125? Cool. I'm sure this guy would fight at 145, 155. It does not matter. He just wants to kick some ass. So uh, Henry Cejudo is a fantastic fighter. Uh, he's an Olympic champion. Okay, those are rare. Doesn't matter where you're going. Uh, and, and the fact that we have one in the UFC is extremely special. Um, this is a guy who, of course, uh, beat Demetrius Johnson. So, you know, while I think there's a lot of tremendous fights at 135 uh, pounds, I think uh, for TJ Dillashaw, he realizes, listen, if I can go out there and beat the guy who beat Demetrius Johnson, that might right. be, might just be just as good. Well, and I'm glad to hear you give TJ Dillashaw his credit because the masses just don't seem to want to in terms of skill for skill being one of the best pound for pound fighters, at least top 10 that I've ever seen fight live in person. And I think history is going to look back upon what he did a lot more fondly than maybe fans do right now. Just in terms of ruining Hen and Barrow, it seems like people want to denigrate that because of where Barrow went from there. You know, like they just when don't want to give best. him... You can argue well, that T.J. Dillashaw was the guy who did that, right? Well, right. Of course, I think most yeah. would argue that. You know, some will yeah. suggest that T.J. is ducking the Bantamweight contenders, and we'll get to those Bantamweight contenders in a second. That is just not the case at all. It's a guy mm -hmm. who's chasing greatness. Some will also say that going up to become a two-division champion, as Daniel Cormier and Conor McGregor did, is different than going down. I don't see one, one accomplishment, Kenny, as vastly superior to the other. I think TJ Dillashaw would be proving that he's undersized a little bit at bantamweight and can still twice become the greatest 135-pounder in the world. Right. I do think he's small to go up to featherweight, but to me, if he wants to you know, stare death in the face and cut down to 125 pounds to prove himself as a pound-for-pound -pound great, to me, I don't see that as a lesser accomplishment going down to fight the smaller man. I think it just boosts up his credentials at 35, you know, given that he was undersized. But I think a lot of fans see those as, as two very different things, moving up to get a second belt versus moving down. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And listen, I, I think that the, the fans are missing out on, on really just one of the best fighters that I've ever seen. And I, I've doubted him, uh, you know, myself. Um, the, the, you know, I, I thought Cody Garbrandt matched up really well against him, um, but TJ Dillashaw proved that he was just too much. I mean, doing it twice and, and finishing a guy like Cody Garbrandt, who was extremely dangerous, uh, and you factor, factor that into everything else this guy has accomplished, um, there's no doubt in my mind this guy will go down as one of the true greats in this sport. And in terms of the disbanding of the flyweight division, Fans, I think, are proceeding as if it's a foregone conclusion. I think the writing is on the wall. I wouldn't take all your cues from Jared the Monkey God Brooks and Jose Shorty Torres necessarily, two guys who have been cut. Uh, but Joseph Benavidez was rebooked quickly against Alex Perez coming up on November 30th. This title fight is in late January. Uh, mm -hmm. If this is the last fight in the division here between Dillashaw and Cejudo, um, I understand why people would say this matchup makes less sense. I just don't see the harm, and I think it would actually be a pretty decent way to usher out that division. Now, the big losers in all of this, Kenny, are the guys at 135 pounds. And you won't get any argument from me that these guys deserve better. And I don't know if the solution is a number one contender's bout that is made official that way between Marlon Marais and Rafael Asuncao or, or Dominic Cruz and John Lineker, whatever it is. But at Bantamweight, Kenny, you have two, if not three, worthy contenders who have been sitting on the sidelines. Foremost among them for me, Marlon Marais, been out since June 1st, 33-second knockout that ended Jimmy Rivera's 20-fight winning streak. Marais's 16th win in 17 fights, and I think more importantly, Kenny, second straight flush knockout in the UFC after the knee against Aljamain Sterling and then yeah. and then that most recent result against Jimmy Rivera. You've got Rafael Asuncao. He's won 11 of 12. Only loss in there was to TJ Dillashaw. That was fairly recent, but he beat Rob Font back in July. Fourth straight win for him. Uh, and then, of course, you got Dominic Cruz, who is 22-2, and two, but he's been out since December of 2016. So those guys lose in this equation, but for me, I think for Marlon Marais, 
it's most unfortunate for him that he is ready to go. The TJ fight is a fresh matchup that makes a lot of sense, and he just can't seem to get that fight. It, it is unfortunate. And listen, when, when you go through all the different names and everything those guys have accomplished, you realize that the 135-pound division uh, is one of the strongest in the UFC. Uh, um, and for Marlon Moraes, he's done amazing things. This guy has done everything, uh, and he's done it in dramatic fashion to try to get that title shot. He's not going to get it. Um, I don't know what they're going to do. There, there's been rumors. I, I don't think it's official, right? The the Dominic Cruz and John Lineker fight. I don't think that's been officially announced, no, but I know they're no. talking about it um, right. a, as a potential fight as well. Perhaps they're having that as a backup plan, or perhaps the winner of that would get the next title shot. Now, Dominic Cruz has certainly been in the UFC a lot longer than Marlon Moraes. Um, so I'm curious to see which direction the UFC will head as far as the next title challenger at 135 pounds. But either way, it's interesting. Um, I, Yeah, I want to see the best fights as soon as possible. But uh, guess what? The, the, that division is going to have to marinate a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not displeased with that either way. There's a lot yeah. of fantastic fights in the future. Uh, and Moraes, I, I think it's probably going to have to be a long wait for him. I assume he's going to have to take one other fight. In the meantime, perhaps that means it's a rematch against a, a guy in Hafeal Sansao who also has done a lot of great things uh, to deserve a, a, a title shot at TJ Dillashaw. And I believe for a Sansao, it comes down to money, right? He wants to get paid on a level mm -hmm. that Marlon Marais is in order to accept that rematch. All right, we got to table that for a second because now with us on the guest line, as promised, the head coach of the Gilroy High School wrestling team in California, also two-time United States Olympian team captain, UFC heavyweight, light heavyweight champion, the captain of the American Kickboxing Academy, and a man who can flow. Had he served our country at this point, I think he would have even passed Brian Stan as the greatest living american daniel cormier is with us good morning dc how are you bud hey thanks hey thanks for that daniel yeah hey was making me feel good about myself i love it well i know brian stan's not gonna like that you know but i was just thinking i mean is stan still the greatest living american i guess dc didn't serve the country but man you're closing on b stan i'm telling you i mean let me tell you something man with with the way brian stan is and also the look you know, Stan's got the square jaw, the marine. Stan's got the look. Brian Stan is the definition of what the American man is made of. A hundred percent. And we'll let him still have that <laughs> distinction because he doesn't have eight UFC gold belts sitting in his hallway like you do. As we sit here on November 12, 2018... You can lay claim to being the greatest MMA fighter of all time. And had you lost to Derek Lewis nine days ago, that status would have taken a hit. Every time you fight, essentially, you put that status on the line. Yet in this spot, you just seem totally immune to the pressure of the moment, uh, despite the fact that there were some circumstances working against you. What is it about your ability, your inner will or otherwise, that allows you, despite some some circumstances that maybe aren't ideal to always, or I should say, never kind of be flat on fight night. You know, I just think it comes from a lifetime of competition. You know, I've been competing for so long that when I do decide to go and fight or to go and wrestle a match or whatever the case may be, I try to just take it serious. You know, I, when, when I started to get John, a little bit of the, he's going to overlook this guy or, even I was talking to uh, the guys from Dan Levitard, and I was making jokes, and they were like, this seems like a trap fight, DC. It seems like one of those fights where you're taking this guy lightly. I said I would never, you know, because I respect the sport, and I respect what I've done too much to let it, let it fall to the wayside because I overlook some guy that's so dangerous. I just, I take it serious, man, in everything. I mean, it doesn't even stop with just the fighting. In every aspect of my life, if I am committed to something, I try to do it to the best of my ability. Well, DC, I, I want to talk about that, man, because obviously... Oh, here's uh, my guy. I, I miss you. I miss <laughs> you. I miss you, too. I've had to put up with Bisping at the desk at Fox. <laughs> I mean, how can you do hey, that to guy. Oh, no, man, Unbelievable. This guy... Uh, yeah, anyways, listen, man. You hurt your back the day before the fight. You ended up fighting... Um, would you have been how disappointed would you have been if you weren't able to go out there and compete against Derek Lewis only a day before before the fight night? You know, I would have been very disappointed, you know, because 
I look forward to fighting at Madison Square Garden and I spent the whole week in New York City and that's not ideal for me. You know, I, I'd much rather be in Gilroy, California, you know, but uh, <laughs> spending a week in the city, I was like, man, I've been here this whole time. I've prepared myself. I've worked so hard. I was like, it would suck so bad to not be able to do this. And in reality, what's up? I was like, how do we explain this? How do we have explained this? I'm like, how do you explain that uh, this dude sneezed this morning and threw his back out and now he can't fight? Like, that, that was another one of those thoughts like, wow, like, what is going on? Like, what am I going to do? And then uh, people were saying, you know, I said it too, Lewis has a knockout, a puncher's chance to knock me out. Come to find out there were two, two options. He could have won by forfeit. If I didn't think about this, who would have happened oh, if I would have pulled out of that fight? If I would have pulled out of that fight, <laughs> would Derek Lewis have won the fight? Like, I don't understand. I don't know what would have happened. Well, dude, it was I, I got to say, was, I, as a guy who has suffered from a lot of different back injuries and stuff, it's so wild that it's always something, uh, you know, harmless, like a sneeze. I, I, I'd hurt my back like, reaching for a shirt that's on the floor or something. It's wild that that happens, but Going forward, are you now going to do something different? Are you going to prepare differently for your next fight so this, this doesn't happen again? Obviously, you can only control so much, but now, now the fact that this has happened, how are you going to prepare for some for this potential eventuality? So I think, I think Flo, what has to happen is, um, I think what has to happen is I just have to have enough time to enough time to prepare, right? The reason this mm -hmm. happened is because I've wrestled my whole life, and most wrestlers have back issues eventually. Well, yeah. usually I will have my back go out on me about three weeks in the training camp. The issue was three weeks in the training camp was fight night, and I didn't have a week to take off to try to let myself recover. But I, I tried to uh, change a few things, but the reality of the situation is um, I am – who I am because of the way I work and because of the commitment and the training. So if I was to take a step back on the training, I don't feel like I would be as confident walking to the octagon. I felt so in my element um, on, on November 3rd. And that was honestly because I fought so much this year. And the more I compete, the better I feel. I felt great going in there. Well, I want to talk uh, to you about your, your next potential fight against Brock Lesnar. There are rumors that because he signed a new deal with the WWE, that that could put uh, that fight in jeopardy. H have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I've, I've heard. Uh, I've uh, I've heard uh, 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 about the fight, and everything's still going forward as planned. Um, okay. It was just look, uh, Roman Reigns is a guy that that was like the big time guy in the WWE, and unfortunately, the guy just. His, he has leukemia, and he beat leukemia a long time ago, but it, it's back. And so he had to leave to go and go through the recovery process again. Uh, and when you lose a big star like that, the WWE has to try to replace him. And right. better than to have your guy who's had the ball for the last few years uh, just re-sign. And, 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 you know, it's crazy that people are making such a big deal about Brock signing the contract. Brock wrestled in WrestleMania, and then two months later he fought at UFC 200, and then wrestled right. at SummerSlam like a month after that. You know what right. I'm saying? So like that, it doesn't really change anything. I think uh, everything's just the same, but uh, Brock's going to make money as Brock makes money, and WWE always pays him so much. Well, Daniel I would do Cor it if yeah. I was him. I would, I would do it. Hey, so you were born March 20th, 1979. March 20th. 2019 you've said you'd like to be retired how willing are you to bend that self-inflicted deadline even just a couple months to make sure that the lesnar fight is the one that gets done uh i don't really feel like i will need to uh bend the retirement date for the lesnar fight if the lesnar fight starts to get pushed back then then i would start to worry because i want to fight him march 2nd or March third, whatever weekend that is, that gives him um, that gives him an icon to fight at the beginning of that month. It puts me right after. It puts me at the end of the high school wrestling season, so it ends mid February, uh, and then it also gives Brock enough time to uh, go fight me, lose the fight, 
and then start getting ready for WrestleMania in April. So it doesn't really, it just works perfectly for both of our schedules. And uh, I think that's the date that the fight's going to be. All right, a couple more minutes here with the champ. So in terms of all the, the gold at your house, and I'm, I'm going to try to put this question in an efficient manner, but like when you won the Strikeforce Heavyweight Grand Prix, you know, no one was going to say that softened the blow for not realizing your dream of an Olympic gold medal. When you win the UFC light yeah. heavyweight title, someone might say, hey, man, doing all this winning kind of softened the blow, and you'd probably say, "Ah, oh, man, I'd do anything to be on top of that podium. But now here you are. As a simultaneous two-division champion, one of the greatest UFC fighters, if not tops all time, doesn't all of this winning like begin to soften that blow, DC, of not being atop the Olympic podium? I think it starts to make you realize that in my journey, an Olympic gold medal was not the plan. Because if it was, I would have accomplished it, and then this UFC career would have never been a part of it. Because... I can truly say that if I was an Olympic champ, I would have never fought. And yeah. for me to truly realize what I was really meant to do was to, to lose at the Olympics in 04 and not get to compete so that I would go and find solace in mixed martial arts. And uh, so I think it made me put things into perspective that wrestling and, and being the best in the world in wrestling was not my ultimate plan. It wasn't in my ultimate plan and it wasn't my journey it wasn't to be but now uh i was supposed to be a usc fighter and uh obviously it's showing now yeah i guess it's worked out a little bit all right gilroy high school wrestling team so 16 consecutive team titles but they finished second in the state last year without you is that is that correct do i have that right yes i'm, I'm actually at the high school right now you hear them they just finished running uh Gilroy High School Wrestling, 16-time CCS champion, second in the state of California. Right now, the national rankings just came out. We're ranked 10th in the country, number two in the state. So, uh, wow. we got a shot. We got a shot. And that's all we need. We just want a shot. You know, I think, I think our team's a little better than 10th, and I believe that we're going to prove it. So, my focus right now is these kids – it's, it's making sure that these kids, these young men and women, have the best opportunity to earn college scholarships. Uh, Ryan Reyes, a 195-pound kid, is ranked number three in the country. He just signed a full scholarship at Fresno State. Our 138-pound oh, wow. kid is number seven in the country. He just signed a scholarship to Michigan State. Another kid named Daniel Vascara is a senior. He just signed with Cal Poly. So we just put three kids in the Division One universities in the last month, and we've got a few more to sign So. That's the plan. That's the goal. And um, as of right now, it's working out as we wanted it to. And it's the only wrestling mat at a high school in the U.S. that I would eat off of because I got new mats courtesy <laughs> of uh, the it's double beautiful. champ. It's beautiful in there. It's hey, good. thanks it's for squeezing us in, man. I, I, I know program. your minutes are precious. I can't even imagine when the last time you had a day off, like without either kids' gymnastics or a birthday party or training or fighting. So uh, I appreciate you squeezing us in as always, my man. J.A., thank you, man. I just got, I just was going into practice and saw the most dastardly human being I've ever come <laughs> in contact with. <around> <laughs> My God. All right, guys. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. There he is. See Daniel you soon, Cormier. bro. Bye-bye. UFC heavyweight and light heavyweight champion joining us here on the Anakin Florian podcast. A couple things before we get to the picks uh, in the main event challenge. Wrapping up the Marisa Sunsau conversation. One challenging wrinkle to the Dillashaw Cejudo fight, Ken Flo, being at 125 pounds and not 135 pounds, is that you can't do a title eliminator between a Sun Tzu and Marais that same night in Anaheim. You can, right? But I don't think it's fair to ask TJ were something to happen to Henry or Henry were something to happen to TJ for those guys to move up to 35 in an interim championship situation. Do you think it's fair when Dillashaw is training his body and you know, starving himself. I mean, obviously he's doing it the right way, but right. I don't think it's yeah. fair for TJ to be training for a flyweight championship fight and that then have to put his bantamweight belt on the line on short notice. Right. That's not right. Yeah, I, I agree. Listen, I think that, uh, that takes a tremendous amount of commitment. Uh, everything is going to revolve around that weight cut. Right, I, I the believe whole that he yeah. can do it. He's, he's shown himself to, to be, uh, you know, only a few pounds, uh, above, uh, 135. I think he showed himself on the scale at like 141, just regularly without really doing any hardcore yeah. dieting. So he's still pretty close. To that 125 pound limit is very confident that he can make it. 
Yeah, it's crazy. You're right, though. Everything in training camp is going to revolve around yeah. the fight before the fight for TJ Dillashaw. But, hey, the 35's in a great space, and it'll be interesting either way, I think, to see Henry Cejudo in that mix of contenders. We'll see what they do with the flyweight yeah. division. I think all indications are it'll be done at the end of January, but I haven't heard anything come internally that that is going to be the resolution so you just yeah. never know all right last thing and i just want to shout out kevin mcdonald i know i did briefly right the referee and i'm not doing this because he's a, a massachusetts native but I've, i'd imagine you think he made the right call at the end of the fight between chan sung jung and yair rodriguez and i don't want to sit here and say he's in the minority of guys who would have gotten that right in the moment but in the moment kenny most of the referees, I'm not sure, would get it exactly right. And it wasn't just him getting it right. It was the conviction with which he made the decision, right? Yes. Almost as if expectant that something crazy could happen, given the combatants and given what had played out in front of him. Elbow lands, Korean zombie goes face down, TKO. No indecision whatsoever. And as a result, we're talking about this as the greatest capstone to a special show in UFC history instead of a referee who, who got in the way in a way he wasn't supposed to. Well, I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, so many times you and I are, or I guess me specifically, <laughs> I'm uh, sitting here criticizing, uh, you know, the referee and the very difficult jobs that they have. And um, I think it's important that we give them the credit uh, when it is due. And I thought Kevin McDonald uh, stayed extremely present during that moment. Uh, he was obviously engaged, made the right call right there in that moment. Uh, and, yeah, was focused on fighter safety and, and obviously was highly engaged in the fight and made the right call. Um, and that that's not really an easy decision to make, especially given uh, the dramatic cir circumstances in which Korean Zombie was dropped. I think I've seen it probably 15 or 16 times now, right? I can understand why the announcers in the moment maybe thought it was a headbutt because things happened so quickly. But, oh, what an elbow. And for a guy like Ken Flo, yeah. who... Loves the elbows. Loved it. Couldn't have gone a whole lot better. All right, so the hits keep on coming. We have seven UFC shows between now and the end of the year. It's the UFC's first jaunt to Buenos Aires this weekend. To that end, let us get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights. I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. All right, so it was 126 to 113 in favor of the good guys, Team Anaconda, going into UFC Denver. You went head-to-head -head with podcast listener Chris Meyer. Chris Meyer wins the week 4-3, courtesy of the pick on Yair Rodriguez as underdog to win by knockout. 130 to 116 going into Argentina this weekend. We will have five picks today, six fights on the main card, FS1 UFC fight night. Magni versus Ponzinibbio. And joining us from the UK today is Tony. Tony, are you there? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. Tony, our pleasure to have you, man. You're the first guest picker in the history of the Anakin Florian podcast that would not disclose his surname. So I, I just love that you're Tony. <laughs> And, and we're excited to have you. I know you're a sharp cat from following you on Twitter, so let's get to it. First fight up for debate in the strawweight division, Poliano Botelho, minus 125 against the returning Cynthia Calvillo, who, to the surprise of some, entrenched as a plus 105 underdog here. Botelho, 2-0 in the UFC, 7-1 overall. She hasn't lost since 2014. Calvillo, for a while there on the fast track before she ran in to the Carla Esparza uh, train and the marijuana police about a year ago at this point. Who do you like here uh, on the main card, Tony? Calvillo or Botelho? It's a close one. Um, everyone on the internet seems to be on, be on uh, Botelho, which seems quite surprising to me. Um, we haven't seen a great deal of her um, in a two UFC fights. One, she spent the majority of the fight hugged against the cage. Um, second fight was a quick TKO win. Um, Cynthia's got a fantastic ground game. She's probably top three grappler in the 115 division. Um, I think one take then, the, the round's gone at least, if not the fight. But we don't really know what Botella's takedown defense is like, bar the fence hugging that she had with um, Pell for three rounds. So I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I think I'm actually going to side with Cynthia being able to snatch this. Uh, with a submission. I think one takedown. Her ground game is that good yeah. that she can end this fight in an instant. 
Um, in all her UFC fights, whenever the fight's gone to the floor, she's just absolutely dominated everyone, including Carla Esparza in uh, one round. And we know Carla's uh, a legitimate grappler. Amanda Cooper, she annihilated. Pell, she annihilated. Um, I just think if one takedown, and she's quite good at catching kicks, Cynthia, she isn't urgent enough with a takedown, so fight IQ is questionable. But she has caught kicks in the past, and Botello does throw a lot of low kicks. Um, and while she is very powerful um, and seems to hit very hard for a, a 115 a woman, um, I do think one caught kick and this could be game over. So I'm going to go with Cynthia's submission. All right, Camflo, Tony likes Cynthia Calvillo by submission. She fought five times in 2017. Four of those were in the UFC. So even though it was by suspension flow, perhaps some time time off was was maybe a good thing for Cynthia Calvillo. Um, one of just three fighters in the modern era to compete on back-to-back pay-per-view. She did that UFC 209, UFC 210. Only other fighters to do that, by the way, Tito Ortiz and, of course, Derek Lewis just a week ago. Uh, Kempflo, what do you think here? Close fight on paper, Calvillo or Botelho? It is. I'm going to make it uh, a lot quicker here. Um, I think Botelio is tough. I think she's very good. I think she's very aggressive. Um, I just, I'm not sure I'm sold on her just yet. Um, I think Calvillo, if she comes, um, you know, with the kind of striking and kind of grappling that we've seen in the past, I think Calvillo wins this. I think she's going to be hungry as well uh, coming off this little layoff. Um, she's a fighter that likes to stay active. I know she's always in the gym, always improving. I'm going to go with yep. Calvillo here as well. All right, Cynthia Calvillo plus 105 this weekend. All right, next up at Bantamweight, guys, Marlon Cheeto Vera, the minus 305 favorite here against Guido Canetti, who comes back at plus 235. I can't recall Cheeto Vera being this big a favorite, really, at any point in his UFC career. Opened as a big favorite his last time out against Waligi Buren. Uh, that was a short-notice win for him, but the odds closed a lot closer in that one. Here he draws the Argentine Guido Canetti. Tony, who do you like in this one, Cheeto Vera or Guido Canetti? I'm going to go with Vera here. Um, I bet Vera in his last fight, funnily enough, and he made me sweat for that, for that money. So um, I don't think I'll be backing him again as such a big favorite. Um, but Canetti's 39, I think, next month. Um, he's had two fights in, I think, the last four years. Vera seems to be improving a lot. Um, if you look back in his early UFC career, like the Davy Davy Grant fight, he seems to have come on a lot since then. He seems to have filled out a lot as well. He seems like a really big yep. 135 now. So um, I do think he's improving. He's not improved as much as maybe I thought going from his last fight. I was expecting a more dominant victory. But Canetti does seem to slow down in fights. I think the first round will be pretty competitive. They both like to throw a lot of kicks. I can see Canetti maybe edging the first round. But I think as we get into the second and, and third round, I definitely see Canetti's pace dropping off. Um, I think Vera will start to take over. And Vera can finish fights. He's got good submission skills. Um, he's got good head kicks. Um, I do see him catching Kennedy with something uh, at some point in the second half of the fight. All right, Cam Flo, 10th UFC appearance for Cheeto Vera. Five and four in the UFC. A loss here would be three in his last four, but he's favored to get it done this weekend. Your thoughts on Vera and your boy Guido Kennedy that you can't call Guido on live TV? That's right. Uh, listen, I, I think Kennedy uh, has some decent skills. He's fast, um, you know, can be dangerous early on. Uh, but uh, I think uh, Cheeto Vera is going to win this fight. I, I think his length, his his uh, height is going to give Kennedy a lot of problems, especially late in the fight. Um, I think Vera overall is just a better fighter, so I'm, I'm going with Cheeto here. All right, two plays for Marlon Cheeto Vera. Next up, light heavyweight feature bout here. Khalil Roundtree Jr., unbeaten spanning his last four, the minus 260 favorite against the UFC newcomer Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker, black Johnny Walker, blue. No, it's just Johnny Walker. He's plus 200, Tony. What do you think about this one? I'm going to go with Khalil. I think that his fast hands, accurate hands, are going to put Johnny Walker away in the first round. But as a better, I'm not betting on Khalil. Um, if this goes into the second and third rounds, we've seen historically his gas tank isn't great. He's not great on the mat either. Um, Johnny Walker looked okay against Frankenstein on the Dana White Contender Series. Um, it's a right. pretty dominating victory for him. He seems like he's pretty good from top position. 
So if Khalil does start to slow down and Johnny gets on top, I've seen him in numerous fights, get to the mount position, get people's backs. He mounted Frankenstein a couple of times as well. So Khalil's really got to put him away in the first round, I feel. Um, Johnny's very explosive. He's very tall. He's got a very long reach, 82 inch. So he's got a lot of advantages in that sense. But I do feel Khalil's faster. But as I said, he does slow down. So if he can't get rid of him in round one, I think this could be uh, all downhill, round two and three onwards. So I'm going to go Khalil round one knockout, but I don't trust him at his current betting price. Um, and yeah. I will be keeping an eye on how the fight unfolds in round two and three. Yeah. Yeah, Kenpo, the Brazilian Johnny Walker's getting some respect here from Vegas. He has fought his entire career in Brazil up until his last fight, I believe. That was on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series, filmed in Vegas, August of 2018. You heard Tony reference the win over Frankenstein, that six-time UFC veteran, and Hiki da Silva. So that's certainly a feather in his cap. Uh, as for Roundtree Jr., Flo, I mean, hard to do better than his last time out. Won a performance bonus with that stunning knockout of Gokan Saki. And now favored to get it done here and keep the momentum going against the UFC first-timer, Johnny Walker. Your thoughts? You know, uh, per perhaps more impressive than his performance against Gokan Saki as far as the actual finish was the fact that he just seemed very calm and composed and, and, and just ready to go. It, it seems like he now feels like he's a veteran in, in, in the octagon, like he's finally comfortable in there. And to me, yep. that, that's a very good sign. And why Johnny Walker can't pose some problems for a guy like Khalil Rountree, I think Khalil just has a little bit too much firepower, a little too much speed, a little too much power. Um, so I'm going with Rountree here. Gosh, if you're calling a Johnny Walker knockout as a play-by-play -play guy, how do you resist the temptation to just say, like, Johnny Walker blue or something, you know? I mean, you really have to, like, not do that. You know, his family, like, what is this blue shit? You're... All right, co-main event. Two perennial tough stuff. outs here. The former featherweight title challenger, Ricardo Lamas, minus 260 against Darren the Damage Elkins, who is the plus 200 underdog. Tony, who do you like here in the co-main event in Buenos Aires? This is a tough one. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to go for Darren Elkins. Um, he's come through as an underdog so many times now. It seems kind of foolish not to um, not to at least lay a little bit of money on him. Um, I think these two are uh, fairly similar. Um, statistically, they, they are very similar in terms of significant significant strikes landed, significant strikes absorbed, um, their takedowns defended, their takedown success. Um, neither of them have ever been submitted. Um, he, Lamas seems to have a problem with team alpha male fighters as well. He's lost to, I think, three of their fighters over the years. Now, Darren Elkins is a lot different to your Josh Emmett's and your uh, Chad Mendes, but um, they're going to have some inside info in that camp as well, I think. Um, Elkins takes down everyone he fights, and Lamas can be taken down. His, his takedown defense is, is, is relatively low. It's at 47%. And if Elkin starts getting the grind on, um, you're in trouble. And I remember betting uh, Dennis Bermudez over Darren Elkins, thinking it was going to be quite a comfortable win because Bermudez's takedown defence had looked impenetrable. And then all of a right. sudden, round one and two, he's getting that wrestled. So I'm going to go with um, Ricardo, uh, sorry, Darren Elkins here to win a decision. All right, so Ken Flo, Darren Elkins absorbing a lot of, of punishment. As usual, uh, his last fight against Alexander Volkanovsky, but that ended a six-fight winning streak for Darren Elkins. Let's not forget yeah. the momentum that he had going into that fight. Ricardo Lamas also needs a win, though, here. Thought he looked good against Mursad Bektik. I mean, he lost a split decision, but I thought he answered a lot of questions in coming back from that devastating knockout loss to Josh Emmett. And as such, Lamas entrenched here as a minus 260 favorite. Ken Flo, who do you like in the co-main event? Yeah, listen, I, I think uh, Lamas matches up pretty well against Elkins, to be honest. Uh, I, I don't really see an area where Del Elkins um, threatens Lamas as far as finishing the fight. He just doesn't hit hard enough. I don't see him hitting a submission on a guy like Lamas. Um, Elkins does have that propensity of coming up big as an underdog, but I just don't see it here as far as the style matchup. I think Lamas goes out there and gets the win. I think he... Uh, is most likely the better wrestler. I think he's better with this submission game. But more than anything else, I think where Elkins is going to have some trouble is on the feet. He just gets hit way too much for my liking. All right, main event in what will be the UFC's first jaunt to Argentina. Santiago Ponzinibbio, minus 340. Neil Magny, the underdog at plus 260. 
Ponzinibbio flow, one of the most dangerous welterweights, I think, in the world, you know, and, and I think the record sort of speaks to that. He's won six in a row. It's hard to say where he would be without all the injuries, of course, that date to the ultimate fighter. But as far as where he is this weekend, it's a UFC main event in his native Argentina, and it comes against the always game, Neil Magny. This is the main event, so Tony will need the round and the method of victory as well. Who wins it, Ponzinibbio or Magny, and how do they get it done? I'm going to go for Ponzinibbio decision. Um, I think Magny's going to have to survive an early onslaught, but we've seen him do that before. I think he will survive the early onslaught. I think as the rounds go on, it could become closer. Magny could potentially start to take over. We've seen him beat Gastelum, so we know he can hang around at the higher level. Um, he's got a massive reach advantage, but I don't really know if he's got the power to keep Ponzinibbio uh, off of him basically um, Ponzinibbio is a great pressure fighter he's going to be in his face um, I think he might slow a little as we get into the latter rounds but I think he's going to do enough early to to get the decision here he might put him away in round one um, but I think Magny's going to survive show that um, toughness that he's shown before um, in fights where he's been in trouble early and I think he's going to hang around and make it competitive but I see Ponzinibbio walking away with a 49-46 decision all right, Santiago Ponzinibbio by decision, the pick for Tony. You can find Tony on Twitter, by the way, at Pro MMA Betting, 72% pick rate, and clearly you did your homework. And uh, I like your chances against the flow this weekend, Tony. I know it's late where you are. I appreciate you hopping on, and uh, maybe we'll have you back later in the year, my man. Thanks for the time. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. See you later. All right, there he is, Tony, at Pro MMA Betting. God, wouldn't you like to be a professional mixed martial arts better for a living? When I retire, I mean, that's what I'm going to try to do. The problem is I wouldn't hit very often, you know. <laughs> Even when I have inside information, it doesn't play out. All right, so here's your main event. Santiago Ponzinibbio, prohibitive favorite here against Neil Magny, who makes his 20th UFC appearance. I mean, can we congratulate Neil Magny on 20 UFC fights, right? If you had bet on Neil Magny getting to 20 UFC appearances back in the day when he made his UFC debut in 2013, came off the Ultimate Fighter without much fanfare, you know, this guy's main evented for the UFC as a win over Carlos Condit not all that long ago. He's won three of four flow, only loss in there to Rafael Dos Anjos. All of that said, most people think he is up against it this weekend against Santiago Ponzinibbio. Your main event prediction for Argentina, if you would. First of all, being a professional gambler sounds way too stressful for me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. you know. Listen, I think uh, it's amazing what Neil Magny has done. You, you know, started his career in 2013. The fact he's, you know, 20, 20 uh, UFC um, appearances, uh, that's an average of four fights a year. That is absolutely ridiculous. Very few fighters uh, can get to 20, and even fewer can do it in the, in the short amount of time that Neil Magny has done it. Now, I, I agree with Tony that uh, his reach could pose some problems for Ponsonibio. Um If he's able to dance around the octagon, utilize that jab, uh, keep Ponzinibbio uh, off of him, especially in that clinch. I think that Magny can win this fight. However, I got to go with Ponzinibbio. I think he has a little bit too much firepower. He hits very hard. He seems to wake up in fights that actually when you hurt him with something. Um, so Ponzinibbio fighting uh, in his home country, um, I, I think he'll definitely have a lot of motivation to go out there and get the win. Um, I see him getting the win in and around the third round landing a big shot on the feet, and getting a TKO. All right, Santiago Ponzinibbio, round three TKO, the pick to click for Ken Flo this weekend. If you do want to make picks against Kenny, we are going to tweak the main event challenge in 2019, so I don't know exactly what we're going to do, but Podcast at gmail.com, that gets you in the queue. Podcast at gmail.com if you want to be a part of the main event challenge. We still haven't even determined the punishment. I mean, I think I know. it's probably going to end up being a power hour, but uh, I might even do yeah, that one with you. Yeah, we did talk about that. You know, That's right. That, I'm not afraid of a good would, time, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I know you're not afraid to throw up on live TV, so might sure. not have a TV home next year anyway when you pay off the bet. So, uh, All right. Yeah. Hey, thanks for carving out a few minutes. I know you're up there with your family in New Hampshire. The last thing you probably want to be doing is is talking about, you know, Poliano Botelio with all due respect. No, I'm just kidding. But thank you for uh, breaking away. Send the doctor my best. Tell him the Wi-Fi was 100% on point, and I will talk to you in a week, all right? I will, man. Always good to talk to you.
All right, that's it for this week. We will have a quick episode for you coming up next Monday during Thanksgiving week, so it'll come out Monday night. We'll recap the Argentina show. Also, some pr- predictions from Ken Flo for the UFC's return to China. That's a big heavyweight main event there coming up November 24th on UFC Fight Pass. Curtis Blades, the forgotten man at heavyweight. Everyone's talking about Brock Lesnar and Stipe. How about Curtis Razor Blades? He takes on Francis Ngannou. That's your heavyweight main event. We'll see which way Ken Flo goes with that. Thank you to our guest, Daniel Cormier, Tony on the picks. Uh, for Flo and the whole Fox Sports team, I'm John Anik. We appreciate you listening, as always, to Ray Longo, to your family. Uh, we love you. We look forward to having you back next week. Uh, may your mother rest in peace. And we'll talk to the rest of you uh, in about six days. Until then, you'll later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and Wagering Week is your antidote. I'm Tom Martin, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who helped build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let sports garden. Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. Now's a good time to remember where the story of tequila started. In 1795, the first tequila distillery was opened by the Cuervo family. And 229 years later, Cuervo is still going strong. Family owned from the start. Same family, same land. Now's a good time to enjoy Cuervo, the tequila that invented tequila. Go to Cuervo.com to shop tequila or visit a store near you. Cuervo, now's a good time. Trademarks owned by Beckley SAB to CV 2024, Proximo, Jersey City, New Jersey. Please drink responsibly.